1984, Ben Franklin wrote to his daughter to tell her he was very unhappy that the bald eagle was to be chosen as the national bird for the United States. Uh, You probably already know this story, but he mentioned that he believed the turkey would have been a much more respectable choice. Can you imagine what our dollar bills would look like? Uh, 1837, 32 years and 15 days after Michigan was organized as a territory, it became the 26th of the United States of America, named Michigan after the Native American term Michigama, meaning great or large lake. Michigan borders four of the Great Lakes and is divided into two peninsulas by the Straits of Mackinac that connect Lakes Michigan and Huron. 1913, Jim Thorpe wrote to the chairman of the Amateur Athletic Union. He revealed that he had played pro baseball in the years 1909 and 1910, and he returned the two gold medals that he had won in the 1912 Olympic Games in Stockholm, Sweden, for the decathlon and the pentathlon. Sixty years later, 20 years after his death, the AAU restored Jim Thorpe's amateur standing and the Olympic honors. That's a look at just some of Today in History here on 89.3 FM WMKV. Thank you, George. And traffic right now, that uh, disabled bus is gone on uh, 275, but that's been replaced on the board with a disabled tractor trailer that is located eastbound Columbia Parkway at Martin Drive. The right lane is blocked. Again, eastbound Columbia Parkway. As far as accidents are concerned, we still have the earlier accident, Paddock at 75, as well as West Corey at Jefferson and Cheviot Road at Poole, with injuries, your slowdowns include North 71 at Montgomery, through Pfeiffer, North 75 at Mitchell, through Paddock, southbound 75 approaching the Brent Spence Bridge. Your weather forecast from the National Weather Service this evening, cloudy skies, a low around 20 degrees. Tomorrow, cloudy with a high of 32. Could get some snow tomorrow night, not big accumulations, at least not at this point. A 40% chance tomorrow night. And then on Friday, a high of 35 degrees. Uh, Saturday looks pretty good, uh, cloudy, but a high of 38. Then on Sunday, we drop back off again, highs only in the upper 20s, Sunday through next Tuesday. Right now, we are uh, right around 27 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Real Life Real Estate Investing comes your way after this. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859-292-7342. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source of great real estate information, tips, strategies, news, etc., 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 on this day when 
One of our new senators has proposed a budget that will, if accepted, completely dismantle and make go away the Department of Housing and Urban Development. It's a great day for questions and answers. (laughs) And uh, that's what we're doing today is your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. What do you think of that? What would you think if HUD went away? That means no more Section 8. It means no more FHA. It means no more public housing of any sort. It just, just, just evaporates, goes away. No longer funded by the U.S. government. What would happen... Now, there is a suggestion in there that some of that stuff be privatized, of course, but uh, I'm guessing that no matter what you privatize, it could be done cheaper and more effectively than the U.S. government and probably leave a prettier corpse, too. So question and answer week, 8772-9658, or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. There is no topic today, so... Whatever questions you ask, boy, that's that's what it is. Uh, f- become a fan on Facebook. You're like, if you're a real estate investor and you're listening to the sound of my voice, you are probably like one of three real estate investors in the entire country that is not a fan of real life real estate investing. And the way you do that is you go to realliferealestateradio.com and just click that little like button. You'll be joining almost 5,000 other people. So I guess it's really not every real estate investor in the country, but it's all the important ones are fans of real life real estate at realliferealestateradio.com. And uh, when you're there, you can, you know, read up on what's coming up on real life real estate, see what other people are asking about real estate investing, and uh, just, I don't know, generally be a much cooler person than you are at this particular moment. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati does not meet this week. It meets next week, but I wanted all of you who are listening to me on the actual radio as opposed to online to mark that date in your calendars because we have a very special guest coming to RIA GC, and that is Anthony Chera. He's coming all the way from Colorado to talk about his experiences buying multifamilies all over the United States. He's... uh, an apartment expert, and he has not limited his investing to his backyard there in Colorado, but instead has uh, invested in places like Alabama and Oklahoma when he himself is in Colorado. So we don't get experts of that level and sort of national renown at Cincinnati Rhea all that often, and it's going to be a good place to come if you're interested in apartments. Uh, Anthony's also following that up with a Saturday session, a Saturday all day session, a week and a half later. So you can get more information about that at Cincinnati, uh, yeah, CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com. He's also going to be at Dayton RIA the previous day as well. So um, if you're living, if you live up closer to there, that would be a uh, good place to catch that. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. And um, got one question, it looks like, that has come in uh, via email from James in Cincinnati. He says, I was trying to wholesale a property 
And a buyer agreed with my asking price, but was insistent on finding out if I was the deed holder, which of course I'm not. How would you circumvent this if you were asked? Well, James, I'll tell you the main way that I would circumvent that is I would uh, ask the buyer why it was important to him whether I was the deed holder or not. As in, is this a good deal for you or is it not at this price? And if he said, well, I only buy properties from people who have the deeds, I'd say, well, this isn't the deal for you then, is it? And I would move on and find another buyer. Now, I'm assuming that you're actually asking this question because you didn't have another buyer, which of course leads me to say, go get a buyer's list. But at the same time, uh, in an imaginary world where there was only the one buyer and he was super concerned about me being the deed holder and I couldn't find somebody else, what I would do is I would become the deed holder before I sold the property to him. I would purchase the property with either private money or transactional funding or something of that nature and then sell him the property. Now, Jim, the second part of your question, uh, it says the property was listed on a site and they want 10% down, which I don't have to unlist that property. I'm not sure what that means that they want 10% down. Does that mean they want 10% of your sale price as a fee? I'm not, not quite sure what that means. So if you would like to write in and let me know what it is that uh, you mean by that exactly, I will certainly answer that. So thank you very much for your question, Jim. If you have a question, give us a call at 772-9658 or toll free at 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Here is one from Tim who says, I am a REA member. I have been studying real estate for more than eight months and I think there might be something wrong with me. I've made 12 offers. Every one of them has been rejected. I haven't even gotten close on any of these. Any idea what I am doing wrong? <laughs> well, Tim, um, I don't know that you're doing anything wrong. Uh, you know, I, to, to really know that, I guess I'd have to look at your offers. I'd have to actually physically see what it is you're offering and on what property. But I, I can tell you that your basic problem is you have not made enough offers. 12 rejections is not surprising at all. I've been doing this business for 21 years and I am still in a position like every other real estate investor where more offers that I make are turned down than are accepted by a long shot as in 20 to one. So when you get to offer number 30 and you still haven't gotten something accepted, I would still not assume that anything is wrong with you. I would just say maybe it's time to sit down and review those offers with someone who maybe knows the neighborhoods and knows a little bit about, more about values than you might as a new investor. It's, uh, it's all good though, Tim. It's not that there's anything wrong with you. It's that that is the nature of our business. We're looking for bargain properties and not everyone wants to sell their properties at bargain prices and that's okay. Real Life Real Estate Investing, it's question and answer week. We need your questions to have a show here. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com.
Support comes from Cincinnati Ballet. You can take a break from your regularly scheduled winter season for a midsummer night stream. Cincinnati Ballet Orchestra performs Mendelssohn's score, and actors from Cincinnati Shakespeare Company tell the story through dramatic reading of the famous text. A Midsummer Night Stream, February 11th through 13th. Tickets at 513-621-5282 or cballet.org. Checking on traffic right now. We have an accident in Queen City at Quebec Road. We also have one at Chiviated Pool with injuries and a disabled tractor trailer eastbound Columbia Parkway at Martin Drive, partially blocking the right lane. Among the delays, North 71 off and on through the lateral and then again at Montgomery. North 75 slows at Hoppo and again at Mitchell. South 71 uh, across Fort Washington Way, uh, westbound and uh, South 75 around Galbraith and then approaching the Brent Spence Bridge. Tonight, your forecast clouds with a low around 20. Tomorrow, clouds and uh, the addition of a chance of snow tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow's high will be right around 32. Friday's high about 35. Tomorrow night's low, 25 degrees. Right now, we're 28 here at 89.3 WMKV. The Sycamore Senior Center is proud to support programming on WMKV. Providing services within 16 communities, the Sycamore Senior Center allows for more than 3,000 older adults to continue to live independently in their own homes. More information on the Sycamore Senior Center is available at 513-984-1234. That's 513-984-1234. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I will sit here in complete silence for the entire remaining 45 minutes if that's what it comes to because hey it's your week to ask any questions you want about real estate investing um 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 and if you're not calling or emailing because i said you weren't cool if you weren't a fan i, I apologize for for that you can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com uh here is a question from Dirk, who lives up in Youngstown, Ohio. He says, I actually need to use my inspection clause to get out of a contract. What do I do? Do I need to notify the agent? Does that need to be in writing? Or can I do it via a phone call or an email and tell them that it didn't pass inspection and move on with no worry of litigation? Well, that's a great question. Dirk, um, safe thing to do since there is an agent involved is put it in writing to the agent, fax it and email it, and also call the agent. But you know, keep your fax receipt, keep the send item in your email folder. Notifying an agent is legally the same thing as notifying a seller. That's the, the nature of the agency relationship is that uh, whatever you tell the agent, you are thought to have told the seller in a legal sense. So I would not contact the seller. I would contact the agent directly. I would do so in writing. And uh, I would uh, do that ASAP, particularly since you probably have some sort of a relatively limit inspection period. Uh, Okay, so it's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. We're 
mostly here, I guess, getting questions via email at askvina at gmail.com. And for some reason, my when I when I select an email, it's not coming. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, this is a question from Peter, who is in Atlanta. He says, I recently wrote an offer on a property and found out later that it was owned by a widow. The way I found this out was that apparently it has not been probated and I cannot make the widow understand probate. What can I do? And then he gives me some details about the deals that are, the, the deal is that are actually a little bit less important than the fact that the property hasn't been probated. Um, Peter, you'd be amazed at how often I run across this situation where a husband and wife lived in a property together. One of them passed away. The other one gets ready to sell the property and they think that they can just do that. They think that you know, it, it was our house together. I just kept living here. There's nothing that has to be done. Obviously, I'm the only owner because he's passed away. And depending on how the how the house was titled, what you are running into can either be a big deal or a little deal. If the house was titled as a joint tenancy with right of survivorship, then when the husband passed away, the house did in fact become the wife's house. Now she will have to probably go to court to to the probate court and file the death certificate so that the deed can be transferred fully into her name. If it was not titled that way, you may be looking at a six or eight month process to buy this property because even though it would seem sensible that, you know, mom and dad are were living in the house, the kids weren't expecting to get anything out of the house, etc. If there was no will and the property was not probated, the court is going to want to automatically divide it up between the spouse and any surviving children. And the children will have to go and they'll have to say, we don't want to do this. We, we, we want mom to have the house and so on. And I have seen this, as I said, take six to eight months to accomplish so the first thing to look at is, is there, is the deed a joint tenancy with right of survivorship deed? Because that will make your life easy. If it is not, I wouldn't try and explain the process to her. I would just hook her up with a probate attorney. Now, I sometimes run across these folks who think that I'm lying to them when I say that they need to take the property through probate because they say, no, 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 my husband wanted me to have it or whatever. Uh I'd let the probate attorney explain that. And then I would just kind of stay in the loop on what's going on there. Because again, it could take a long, long time. Uh, Let's see. Got a question here from Kirk in Maryland. He says, uh, I conducted a Google search on Facebook and came across your information. Well, Kirk, go go become a, a Facebook fan and you can come across my information every week. Uh, My wife and I were invested in real estate through our LLC and we still hold properties in the DC metro area and Nevada and Ohio and Arizona. We are looking to start investing 
whoa, haven't you already started investing? But we wanted to get some advice on the current market in different regions of the country. We tend to buy single-family fixer-uppers that we can buy, fix, and rent, but we are open this time around to selling. We tend to find buyers easily because we have a marketing division within our consulting company that we own, so that is an issue if you are still in the business (laughs) and can offer some insight. It would be greatly appreciated. Wow, i got to Google myself and see what gave him the idea that I'm not still in the business. That's... uh very interesting. Um, and the funny thing is, he's probably not listening because it looks like he looks like he found me, you know, by googling me. So I, I should probably also respond to this email. Uh, okay, Kirk, uh, here's the deal. If you are looking to buy fix and hold properties, which is what you've been doing up until now, in my opinion, and although I I, I have studied this and work with a lot of people around the country, uh, it is still, of course, opinion. You want to be somewhere in flyover country. You want to be in Ohio or Pennsylvania or uh, possibly Michigan, uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee, someplace like that, where the property values compared to the rents are very low. That has become an incredibly hot strategy for folks who live in places like you do in Maryland that are more expensive, shall we say, and where the rents are not more expensive in the same ratio uh, to do. Now, you look like you've kind of got it together in terms of being able to fix them long distance and being able to rent them long distance. That's great. Most people don't have that, unfortunately, in place, and they end up in a mess because they're 3,000 miles away from their property and they have no idea what's going on with it. Uh, But I'm going to assume from your email that since you've done this before, you are aware of those issues and have resolved them. There are areas that I that 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 pop up uh, to my attention that um, are, are, are the focus of out of town money. And when I say that, I mean, certain gurus decide based on some formula that they have uh, scientifically researched and swear is the formula that absolutely shows you where the market is turning around, uh, that, that this particular city is like the best place. There, there are pros and cons, obviously, to everywhere. You know, this place over here might have higher employment, but it also has much higher property taxes and also, uh, it's an, a, an unfriendly business state. You know, there's, there's, there's things that you have to weigh out about any area. I would, of course, I recommend that wherever you pick, you just stay there. You, you don't try and buy, you know, three houses in Cincinnati and four in Birmingham. And it just, it's so much easier to keep your properties together so that when you find a good property manager, you've got the same good property manager for all of your properties. Now, in terms of fixing and selling, which was your other question, if I were going to fix and sell properties, you know where I'd do it? In Maryland. You know why? Because the idea with fixing and selling properties is always pay about 70 cents on the dollar, less the repair costs, and then sell it for 100 cents on the dollar, right? In Cincinnati, that dollar is a $100,000 house. You can you can buy a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a garage and a decent school system for between 100 and $120,000 fixed up. In Maryland, that same house, or at least in the DC Beltway, that same house is a $180,000 to $200,000 house. So when I work in a 30% profit for myself here, it is $30,000. When I work that in 
in Maryland, it's fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and it's this, I'm doing the same work. So, actually, in some ways, the more expensive markets are better markets to fix and resell. Uh, and of course, you know that area in you know Maryland, Virginia, D.C. is has not been hit as hard by job losses as the rest of the country because the largest employer in the United States is up there, Uncle Sam. And he just keeps hiring and hiring and hiring. Uh, let's see. A question from Christina in Cincinnati. I hear investors talking about getting referral fees from others. For instance, a referral from me as an investor to a mortgage broker, an insurance agent, a contractor, etc. How do you go about establishing such relationship where fees are part of the norm? And how do you determine what amount is reasonable? I realize that it may depend on the type of referral. Uh, Christina, I don't, I don't know that you're hearing people talking about getting referral fees from people like mortgage brokers and insurance agents and attorneys and things like that, because a lot of those people are like you bound by law, not to pay folks who don't have the same licenses they do for bringing them customers. You probably remember from your realtor classes that you took to become an agent that uh, if 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 a uh, a civilian, a person without a real estate license, refers their sister to you, and your sis- their sister lists their house with you, and you sell it, and you make six thousand dollars, that you really can't give the person who referred you that person a referral fee. I mean, that's not not legal to do because of the restrictions of your license. And most of the people you mention here have similar restrictions. Mortgage brokers, insurance agents, now contractors don't, but I have actually never heard of a contractor doing anything other than saying thank you for a referral and maybe, you know, giving me cheaper windows next time or something like that. I think the referral fees that you mostly hear about with investors is investors always offer other investors and also civilians uh, referral fees for if you bring me a deal and I close it, then I will pay you something for it. And that's something in our part of the country is usually around $500 um, in some more expensive parts of the country where the profit on a deal like that is likely to be much higher. I've seen it as much as $1,000. So uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure you're hearing what you think you're hearing, Christina, uh, because I, I don't hear about that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I'm pretty plugged in. So Appreciate your question very much. We're going to take another quick break. You can get in here with your question at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from Boris and Ryan, a family-owned and operated funeral home serving the greater Cincinnati area with three locations in Springdale, Lockland, and Norwood. Boris and Ryan can help with pre-planning, funeral arrangements, and cremation services. More information is available from Boris and Ryan at 513-821-0062 or at borisandryan.com. Let me check on traffic now. We still have that disabled tractor-trailer eastbound Columbia Parkway at Martin Drive. It's blocking the right lane. Queen City at Quebec Road, an accident. Cheviot at Pool with injuries and backups in the usual spots, including South 71, 
uh, from the Lytle Tunnel to the Brent Spence Bridge, which is also known as westbound Fort Washington Way. South 75 approaching the Brent Spence Bridge, northbound 75 around Paddock, some backups there as well. Forecast tonight, clouds for the most part, a low tonight around 20. Tomorrow, uh, mostly cloudy with a high around 32 degrees. Tomorrow night, a 40% chance of some snow showers. Lows in the mid-20s. I haven't seen anything about accumulations, so we'll assume that it's an inch or less. And then on Friday, mostly cloudy with a high around 35 degrees. Colder again on Sunday. You can help us spread the word about one of Cincinnati's best-kept secrets. Tell a friend today about WMKV FM 89.3 and our streaming audio anywhere, anytime at WMKVFM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week, and we are most definitely looking for your questions at askvina at gmail.com or by calling 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Seems like the most popular way of asking questions today is going to be askvina at gmail.com because... We just got another question via email from Charlotte, who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. She says, I have a vacant fixer-upper that I was asking $50,000 for. I have another investor who's offered to lease purchase it, only he wants to put, he wants to do $400 per month and the balance of $38,000 at closing. Okay, that's interesting. Um, wow. I, I, (laughs) before I, before I advise you, Charlotte, let me, let me advise the guy who's buying this property from you that he not buy it on a lease option. That's not, that's not super bright of him because if it's a fixer upper and he's going to put a lot of cash into it, he really wants to get the deed. He doesn't want to put a bunch of cash into your property while he is a renter. Because what if there was a title problem? What if something happened to you? What if you just decided not to sell it to him? I know you you won't do that, but what if that that happened? It's just it's what I'm saying, folks, is it's not a bright idea to buy a property on lease option and then stick a bunch of money into it. Now, Charlotte, in terms of what you are asking, which is should you do this deal, um, I, I kind of see where he's going with this lease option thing because he apparently wants a 100% rent credit every month. He wants to pay you $400 a month and he wants you to take $400 a month off of his balance. And that's really effectively a zero interest loan. So if you were asking 50000 for the property and you legitimately think it's a really good deal at $50,000, I would suggest one of two things. Either give him a mortgage or I guess you're in Memphis, it would be a deed of trust uh, at a at $50,000, but at an actual rate of interest, like um, going rate for private money is like 8% or hard money is like 15%. So uh, yeah, he can still make it $400 a month payment, but no, that's going to be mostly interest. It's not going to come off the loan. Or alternatively, give him a zero interest loan, but raise the price $10,000 so that he effectively is paying interest. Um, you can't, you can't blame a guy for asking. I mean, that sounds like a, sounds like an offer I'd make, but, uh, if you legitimately think it's worth $50,000, you probably ought to either get cash for it 
or you should get an interest rate or you should get a higher price. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing. You can ask any question that you have about real estate investing and uh, make any comments you like, whatever whatever you want to do. The show's all about you on the last Wednesday of each month. So um, sitting here awaiting your question. Here is a question. Let's see if I can make sense of this because it looks like it's going to be an internet type of question and those I am not that great at. Uh, this is from Bill in... Denver, Colorado. He says, my question has to do with outsourcing. Specifically, are you sending out to get phone numbers to call? Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the question now. All right. The question is, has to do with uh, uh, generating, generating lists, generating uh, sellers to call, buyers to call, etc. And uh, there's a, Bill, you have a I think a basic misunderstanding about how I do business. And that is that I very rarely cold call people. I don't, I don't have anybody generating lists of phone numbers because uh, I prefer to mail those folks. And, you know, phone numbers aren't that, aren't that easy to find. They're not, it's not nearly as easy to find the phone number of somebody who is being foreclosed on as it is to find out that they're being foreclosed on and where they are living. So uh, I don't, do that at all. But yes, I outsource the mailing list portion of my real estate business because um, I don't have time to sit and <laughs> make mailing lists off the computer every day. Uh, let's see, question from Jody in, must be San Diego, because that's her company name is San Diego Capital Investments. Uh, when going after a probate property, how do I know that it has cleared probate and that it's okay to make an offer on it? I'm looking for them by going through probate files at the local courthouse. And yes, I'm already a fan on Facebook. You're so cool, Jody. Um, it, it's not, Jody, it's not that you can't make an offer on a probate property prior to it having, quote, cleared probate. Let's, let's talk first about what cleared probate means. It means that the pro- the process has happened and either there's there's two things that happen at the end of the probate process either the property is passed on to the heirs so if um if if fred died and he had his kids joe and jane in that in 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 the case that i'm talking about joe and jane would now own the property and obviously they can sell it the other thing that can happen is that the probate court can decide to, uh, it's not actually the probate court decides that, I'll come, I'll come back to it. The probate court can uh, order the property sold so that the money can be split between Joe and Jane. Okay, so there's, there's, there's two ways this can happen. You could be buying it out of probate or you can be buying it directly from the heirs. And what actually determines that, well, it's a couple of things. One is what did the will say? Did the will say the house goes to Joe and Jane or did it say sell all my stuff and give the money to Joe and Jane? Uh, And it also is somewhat dependent on any debts that might be against the estate because sometimes, I mean, the the purpose of probate is is not, not actually to pass stuff on to the right people. It is to make sure that any creditors 
of the decedent get paid before the heirs come in and snatch up all the money. So uh, it's fine to make an offer even before that happens. And the heirs can accept it provisionally. Uh, An heir can accept an an offer, you know, contingent upon it getting to this stage of probate. And that's actually kind of the the best way to do it if you can. Now, there's something I understand a little bit unusual about probates in California. Uh, First of all, the terminology that we use in a lot of the rest of the country that, that has to do with administrators and executors are personal representatives in California. But my understanding in California is that the probate courts are much, much um, tighter about setting values on the properties. Like the probate court decides what they're worth and the probate court decides what they can be sold for. Uh, I even heard from somebody that a lot of probate properties in California end up going to auction in an attempt to get the highest and best price. So, uh, you know, don't know if that was just true in the part of California I was in or if that's throughout the entire state. But uh yeah, you're doing the right thing by going through the probate files. Of course, you want to talk to you want to talk to um, the the executor or the in your case the personal representative, uh, as opposed to the heirs, unless the property's already cleared probate and is owned by the heirs. So, yes, it's okay to make an offer on it at any point at which they call you, and then of course you're going. Some cases you're then going to sit around for months and months and months and wait for it to be ready to purchase. Uh, let's see. Nick has a question about skip tracing. Unfortunately, Nick, the question that you're asking me, which is, can I recommend a good skip trace service, which is the most reliable and costs the least? Uh, the answer is no. And it's not that I don't like you, Nick. And it's not that there aren't good skip trace services out there that are reliable and relatively inexpensive. It's that the nature of public radio is such that we don't advertise stuff like that. And, uh, you know, for me to sit here and say, oh, so-and-so skip trace service is the best and it's only thirty nine ninety seven a month. Is that, that's just, that's, that's bad for public radio. They're not, you're not allowed to do that. I get my hand slapped really, really hard. Or actually, Mike has his hand constantly on this button that just turns me off. It's got, it actually says dump. There's, there's a button here that says dump, and it's brightly lit, and I'm not kidding. He can push that button, and the last seven seconds never happened. So, uh, yeah, Nick, I'd I, I, <laughs> I like to do that. But uh, unfortunately, the nature of our our little business here is that it doesn't doesn't work that way. Um, Real life real estate investing question and answer week. Just don't ask me to recommend anything specific. If you wanted to say something like, what should I look for in a good skip trace company? I could probably answer that. But um, those other sorts of questions, not so much. Uh, So we're question and answer week is what I started to say. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. If you'd like to call in with your question, Otherwise, you can email it, as all of these folks seem to be doing today, at uh, to askvina at gmail.com. A question here from Lori, who doesn't say where she's from. Please, when you're sending us emails in particular, let us know where you're writing from, because it, it makes a difference. And actually, this question is one of those where it would make a difference where you were. Uh, this is a question about land trust, land trusts, and Lori says she just closed a wholesale deal 
where she ended up at the end of the deal being the trustee for the buyer. She wants to resign as trustee, but she doesn't know how to go about doing that. Would the buyer take the transfer of trustee to the registrar's office? I'll see that. That tells me you're probably not from Ohio, Lori. Um, and, and Lori, this is a question that is going to depend a little bit on what state you live in. Does the land trust that you use have successor trustees already in it? Flip through that 28-page document and see if there is a place where it said, uh, if Lori quits, then Mike becomes trustee. And if Mike quits, then Vina becomes trustee like that. Because in that case, depending on your state law, so check with a local attorney, you may just be able to hand him a resignation of trustee and the next person automatically becomes the trustee of the trust. If you live in a state like Ohio, where the trustee's name is on the deed, not the trust's name. See, in a lot of states, if you have a trust, it's called the 123 Easy Street Trust. And if you go down to the courthouse and you look at the deed, it says this property is owned by the 123 Easy Street Trust. And then in order to find out who's got the right to sign for the trust, in other words, who the trustee is, you would have to look at the trust documents, which in this case currently say Lori, but might say something else later. In Ohio properties deeded to a land trust are deeded as Joe Schmo trustee of the 123 Easy Street Land Trust. So in order to, quote, get Joe Schmo trustee off the, quote, title, uh, you, you, you not only have to do the resignation of trustee, you either have to file a new deed, or I think there's a way to, like, file a, uh, a, a an addendum to the deed that says, like, Joe is no longer the trustee now. Mike is the trustee. So uh, check with a local attorney who is familiar with land trusts, obviously, uh, and also look and see if there are successor trustees in your little list there, in your in your um, trust documents there. Okay, it's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing. We are going to take a quick break, and while we do that, you are going to send in a question to askvina at gmail.com so that we actually have a last 15 minutes of the show. You can also call 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Laurel Kuntz, the host of a WMKV program called A Big Band Memory Book. Does Glenn Miller's music put you in the mood? Does Benny Goodman's band make you say, let's dance? If so, tune in to 89.3 WMKV-FM every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. for recorded live broadcasts of the big bands of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. A repeat of the Thursday program will be aired on Sunday nights at 11 p.m. You'll hear music played by the superstars like Glenn Miller, Artie Shaw, Benny Goodman, Harry James, and Tommy Dorsey. Then there will also be appearances by many other bands. These programs were broadcast from venues like the Glen Island Casino, the Manhattan Room, and Cafe Rouge of New York City's Hotel Pennsylvania, Chicago's Aragon Ballroom, and the Hollywood Palladium. Mark it down on your WMKV listening calendar. A big band memory book, Thursdays at 9 p.m. or Sundays at 11 p.m. I hope to see you then. Checking on traffic right now, we have a pretty serious accident on northbound 71, Again, that's northbound 71 between Reading and Dana, and it's blocking the center two lanes, so not a good spot. North 71 between Reading and Dana. Uh, the only other accident, Queen City at Quebec Road and disabled tractor-trailer eastbound Columbia Parkway at Martin Drive. 
Your forecast tonight, uh, cloudy skies, low around 20. Tomorrow, cloudy with a high of 32. High on Friday of 35. Tomorrow night, there is a chance of some snow showers. But uh, at this point, no big accumulations are expected. Tomorrow night's low 25 degrees. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is the last Wednesday of the month, and that makes it question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We've got about, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes left in the show. If you have a question that you really need to ask, give us a call at 772-9658 if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area. Or at 877-772-9658 if you are outside the greater Cincinnati area. That's a toll-free number. Obviously, you can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Got a question here from Mike in Baltimore. Boy, this is our this is our Maryland day and our probate day. Mike says, I also mail letters to probates and... When I talk to the sellers, they tell me that they get letters all the time. So apparently there is a lot of competition marketing to this list. Is it a matter of who has better marketing or is it a timing issue that when they have the right motivation, they will call whichever letter is in front of them at the moment? Can you tell me how this competition affects me and does it make the probate sellers think that their property is worth more because they have all of these people marketing to them? Um, Mike, they, the, the, first of all, the probate sellers may be overstating, you know, how many letters and postcards they're getting because, uh, that, that's one area that a lot of real estate investors are hesitant to market into because obviously, uh, there has been a loss there. And you, if you have ever marketed to probates, you know that every once in a while you will get a phone call from somebody saying, how dare you, you slime ball shark, how dare you write me a letter about buying my whatever's house. So um, they may be, I'm sure they're getting more than one. I'm not sure that they're getting the dozens upon dozens upon dozens that you may be perceiving that they are. Uh, Secondly, the question as to who is it that they call, I mean, like, if, uh, let's say let's say they did get 100 letters and they're going to sell their house to one of those people. Which one is it going to be? Uh, that answer is is so, it's so personal to the seller. Uh, you want to know who gets marketed to a lot? Foreclosure sellers. And yet they usually end up choosing one person to work with. Sometimes it's just, it was the first person that they got a letter from and that was the first person that they called. And so once they're into the process, they don't bother to answer any of the other letters. Sometimes they got letters for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and were in total denial. And then this last stray one showed up and they went, oh, I, you know, I threw away all these other ones, but I better call this one. Sometimes it's that they, they, they like them, something about your message reaches out and grabs a particular seller in a way that other people's messages has not done. Um, sometimes it's, I don't know, they like the color of the envelope. I, you never know because in almost every arena, there is in fact some competition. And so, uh, you know, you're going to, you are going to run across this no matter who you're marketing to. But I'll tell you that the big, the big secret here is be responsive, answer the phone and call people back. Because if you got one of these who's going through every letter and calling, and yet they're going to sell to the first person who answers the phone, you want to be the first person who answers the phone. If you've got one of these people who's going through every letter and calling, because as you said, 
they actually think that their property, they're just going, oh my gosh, my property is so popular. This must be, this must be, you know, worth a whole lot more than I thought it was. Uh, give them some time to get the other offers. Don't, don't get into a bidding war with other investors because they will figure out pretty quickly that this is not, uh, it's, it's not a matter of that their property is worth a whole bunch of money. It's that they were being written to because they were assumed to be motivated sellers. Okay, another probate question. What is up with the probate questions today? This is uh, this is kind of amazing. This one is from Nan, who lives in Louisville. Uh, Nan says, I received a call today where the, uh, this is from a probate, where the executor is not a relative. He is an attorney that's selling the property and donating the proceeds to charity. My question is, oh, this is not the question that I expected after that. My question is, do you ever bother to try and make relationships with probate attorneys ahead of time? And if so, how do you go about doing this? See, I thought the question was going to be, should I pursue this since he's selling the property and giving the money away for charity? Of course, I was going to say, absolutely, yes. But that wasn't the question. The question was about uh, connections with probate attorneys. One One of the things that I have, I was late in discovering Nan because I am actually not a person who enjoys networking and small talk and chattering and so on. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually very shy amongst people I don't know is that relationships in this business are surprisingly important in the sense that you think it's business, 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 right? But if somebody knows who you are and likes you, especially somebody like a probate attorney, you can make a lot of money from that. You know, if you get if you get one probate attorney, someone who really works probate and who really does a lot of estates, they can obviously refer you, you know, 20, 30, 40 deals a year. I mean, more, more almost than a, than a, than a real estate agent can. So, the answer is absolutely yes. Create relationships with these folks. Now, on the other hand, you know, your question about how do you do that? Um, I've marketed to them and that has had some success, but where you really get the relationship is by sitting down and having lunch or going to their office and asking for advice or referring people to them. If you're working a lot of probate, you're going to run across some people that have not probated their property. So you're going to refer the business to your probate attorney friend that you have the relationship with. So, um, yeah, very, very important, all these relationships and, and you know, not just with probate attorneys, but with real estate agents and other investors and potential lenders and REO agents. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. I've got a, I've got a student here in town who in the last month has bought two really good deals. I mean, like, like less than 70 cents on the dollar deals in, in very decent neighborhoods. And I was comping them both for him. And I, uh, I tried to look them up on the MLS and they weren't listed. And I said, how did you find these? They're, they're bank owned, but they're not on the market. And he said, Oh, I've got a, I've got a secret connection with somebody at an REO department. And that secret connection probably has made him $60,000 in the last month when you count in equity and cash flow and so on. So yeah, important stuff. Um, 
question here from who is this from it's got initials in the email and then when i go down to the bottom there's no name so let's call this person by the initials of jhd because that's what it says um jhd says vina i have a big problem i have too many leads coming in and i'm getting overwhelmed some of these people have more than one property they want to sell me some of them are REO agents at banks and they have five or six properties they want me to look at. Some of them are in places that are not, some, some of the properties apparently are in places that are not here in town. I just don't know what to do. I'm having too many leads come all at once. Are you, do you have any advice? Okay. Yeah, JH, the first piece of advice I have is celebrate. You know, you've, you've, you've cracked the code. I don't know what it is you're doing because you didn't say so. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of investors who'd love to have your problem that I've just got too many leads. The second piece of advice that I would give you is uh, keep track of what's coming in and start uh, not just, you know, who did I mail to, but who called and also who did I buy properties from? Because you may find that whatever it is you're doing there's some of these that are leading to more deals than others. There might be one mailing that you get a lot of calls on, but no deals. And there may be another mailing that you get fewer calls on, but you get lots of deals because that'll help you pare that down in the future. The third thing is get aggressive about screening these people on the phone and, and doing it pretty quickly. Um, I, I understand what you mean. Uh, if, if I spent, 25 minutes or 30 minutes on the phone with every single solitary person that wanted to talk to me about selling their house, I would do nothing else. There would be no time for anything else. So I, I pretty much try to get to in the phone conversation pretty quickly. Why are you selling? What do you think your house is worth? Why do you think it's worth that? And what will you actually take? And if they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not selling. I just hope, was hoping you'd tell me what my house is worth and I can get off the phone if they say well I think my house is worth 150 but I want 160 because my house is special and I won't take any less I'm going to get them off the phone you know because there's only going to be one out of 20 that's going to be a deal anyway right and the other thing that I do that you may or may not be care be uh, comfortable with JH because I don't know how far into this business you are is I typically make offers on the phone I tell people uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking up your property as we're speaking and I'm looking up the other sales in the neighborhood and, huh, you said you think it's worth 60. The highest sale I'm seeing in the area is for 30. Uh, so that means my offer is going to come in depending on how much work your house needs, like between 20 and 30. Should I even bother to look at it? And if they say, oh no, I, I can't take less than 60. I don't bother to look at it. So you just, you just find ways to be nice to these folks, take their calls, but don't spend a lot of time with them if they're not, in fact, motivated sellers. So thank you very much for your call, JH, and for call, <laughs> for your email. And for all you folks who uh, helped us make the question and answer show today a hopefully valuable one for all the listeners, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.
This is 89.3 WMKV, Reading, Ohio. Here's Local 12 News. This is a mystery witness in the Ryan Widmer trial. Tonight we're learning more about Jennifer Crew. Good evening, everybody. Jennifer Crew is from Iowa, and today we've talked with three different sheriff's departments about her criminal record. They include 